if you have somebody with a rough surfaced implant, you have more surface area to make contact with the tissues. That stimulates the immune response and lymphocytes come to that area. So it's like a chronic irritant. If you haven't done so already, go ahead and click that subscribe button down below. It's a little red button, you punch that, and it's gonna notify you every time we put out a new episode that can help you improve your bone health. And then also, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com, sign up for the free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart. That's gonna walk you through everything you need to be doing right now to get on the path to improvement and stronger bones. After you do those two things, go ahead and press play on this episode, and I'll see you inside. Welcome, welcome to this episode of The Bone Coach Show. Joining us today to explore breast implant illness and the connection to bone health is Dr. Robert Whitfield. Dr. Whitfield is an experienced board-certified plastic surgeon. He completed six years of surgical training at Indiana University Medical Center. He remained at the end of Indiana University Medical Center to complete his plastic surgery res residency. At the completion of his plastic surgery residency, he chose to gain additional training in microsurgery and aesthetic surgery by completing a one-year fellowship in Las Vegas, Nevada under Dr. William Zamboni. He's an active member of American Society for Reconstructive Microsurgery. American Society for Aesthetic Plastic Surgery, Fellow of the American College of Surgeons, and the American Medical Association. Dr. Whitfield focuses on providing clients with nutritional guidance, nutraceutical advice, personal genetic predisposition screening, non-invasive, minimally invasive, and surgical options for treatments all over the body. And he has completed over 4,000 breast procedures since 2004, including over 500 implant removals. He has the largest series of explant specimens with PCR testing. And while serving as president-elect of the Research Foundation, he gave testimony at the FDA hearings in 2019 regarding breast implant illness. Dr. Whitfield's philosophy statement is, choosing to have surgery is a major life choice. Dr. Whitfield has personally been involved in helping make decisions about surgery since 1992 when his sister was diagnosed with breast cancer. Each patient has to know the risks and benefits so they can be informed and make an informed decision. With the proper plan and meticulous attention to detail, each patient has the best opportunity for a successful outcome in his hands. Patient safety is incredibly important to him and at the forefront of each of his surgical decisions. After spending so many years training and practicing, he can only provide the safest and most appropriate surgical care. Dr. Robert, thank you so much for being here today. It's great to have you. Hey, thank you for having me, Kev. Well, I'm excited to uh, to get into this conversation because it's not something we've ever talked about before, right? And and it may not ever be talked about by a lot of other people um, because they may not know. They may not know the cause of mysterious symptoms and things like that, uh, especially if somebody has had uh, breast implants and things like that in the past. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to getting into understanding more about breast implant illness and even the connection to bone health here. So uh, but first, before we do that, I'd like to start out by getting into a little bit of your background and how you even came to be in this field, in this position, and and being a leader in this field. Sure, this was a, a quizzical thing. As uh, you read that very lengthy bio, and I appreciate you for doing that. Uh, my sister is a breast cancer survivor, and it was my second week of med school. She called me and told me she had breast cancer. First or second week, I, I I barely even knew how to get to the classroom, and she was uh, having this really uh, big diagnosis to deal with, and certainly 
Um, I wanted to do everything I could do to help, but I didn't know anything. So fortunately, one of the folks teaching the course in biochemistry that day happened to be a, a oncologist of all things. So I spoke with him after class and he called his colleague where my sister lived and uh, helped facilitate her getting seen. And I flew down and, and spent time with that oncologist at her uh, appointments. And um, that kind of led me uh, to go into surgery, not with the actual intent of doing oncologic uh, reconstruction like I did do uh, finally, but I wanted to be a heart surgeon. I ultimately changed and chose plastic surgery because I really fell in love with doing microsurgery, oncologic reconstruction and aesthetic surgery. And that's that fits me. It fits my personality and what I can offer um, as it relates to taking care of women and, and breast cancer and then ultimately breast implant illness. A breast cancer patient found me uh, who had relocated to Austin and did not uh, want her breast reconstruction anymore. And it happens from time to time. Um, she didn't have anything physically wrong other than she had fatigue. Uh, which many uh, patients who've gone through years of therapy, uh, oncologic therapy, uh, medical therapy um, will have. She didn't have anything on examination, no laboratory abnormalities. She just simply wanted me to take her reconstruction down and she wanted me to do it a particular way in a technique referred to as on block. And in cancer terms, that just means taking out a tumor on block without disturbing the surrounding of the tumor, right? You don't want to spill the tumor. So it's it's a very like common oncologic term to me or patholog you know pathologic term uh, to me. So I said, yeah, I can do that. And I didn't really think much of it. I was like, that's okay. Maybe she read it somewhere or something. Um, I took care of her, did her surgery uh, because of an unrelated health condition. Um, she had to be monitored overnight in the hospital. Um, every time I would take a reconstruction down for a patient, um, I would do the same steps. I would uh, take everything out. Uh, basically intact uh, as much as possible. We would culture the pocket. Uh, cultures meaning take something that looks like a Q-tip swab and wipe it around the inside of the pocket and send that to the lab. Uh, the lab would then wipe that on an auger plate, which looks like a little gel plate on a Petri dish. And they would try to incubate it and see if anything grew. Um, we send the rest of the material always because a cancer patient always uh, has to be looked after and made sure they don't have a recurrence. Mm -hmm. We would send that for pathologic examination. And basically at her one week visit, uh, we revisited all the information. There was no recurrence of cancer, but she had an E. coli infection. And when I say infection, just so the audience knows, an infection in a laboratory in a hospital has to show there are greater than 100,000 colonies of growth on an agar plate that's an infection. They will not report it otherwise. They'll report it as uh, not enough growth or uh, normal floor or something like that. So this person had a hospital uh, diagnosed really infection. Now, I'll remind you, like I've examined thousands of patients. I've physical exams, looking at their labs, going through their histories. Um, I went back and I, I, was, I felt I, like I missed something. So I went back through everything and I hadn't missed anything other than I missed somebody who had a breast implant infection who didn't have any external signs. Now there's lots of reasons potentially to have that. Um, a really depressed immune system obviously will not give you signs or, or uh, of overt infection, but I had never like missed something like that. It really irked me. So um, I believe she put me up on some kind of message board in Facebook. And so I started to get clients who felt they had similar issues 
and they started to refer to it as breast implant, implant illness. She did not do that. Um, so then I had cosmetic patients start showing up in 2016, 17, 18, 19. Um, in 2019, I got really um, frustrated with the lab uh, that I was using. So a lab that needs to establish that diagnosis of 100,000 colony units, it's hard if you have um, less than that or if you have what's called a biofilm or or, or more like a slick uh, contaminant, that's harder. And I've known about that because of different things in vascular surgery and oncologic surgery. We see that. So I switched on Valentine's Day 2019 to use a lab uh, in Texas that specifically does polymer, uh, polymerase chain reaction testing or PCR testing. It's become very you know, common now in vernacular because of COVID. Um, it's been used for forensics, for establishing uh, identity, all, all sorts. It's DNA testing, basically. So it tests for 150 different types of bacteria, fungus, mycobacterium. So I rely heavy, heavily on that because I believe in science. I, I trust that it works. I've used that technique uh, in uh, scientific training as an undergrad and a, and a postgraduate uh, student. And so from that point forward, if you looked at my series, I would have between 50 and 60% have biofilm on explant until COVID happened. COVID created a new, new problem, uh, a very, very limited amount of air travel. So things were very local or regional for me, and then it dropped. Um, it just became more of people who were unhappy with their implants over time. I had less people travel who were uh, as sick as that. Uh, person was with fatigue and um now that you know things are um more active and people are traveling again probably for the first time in a few years uh my numbers are popping back up with people who have uh biofilm on their implants which and, and we can discuss how that drives immunity and immune response and and so I, I would think that the people listening, at least to this point still, right, that they are people that either have breast implants or they know someone that has had breast implants sure. or recently got them and they're, they're maybe concerned about them or just want to understand the full picture. Sure. Or maybe they've noticed some symptoms that we're going to talk about here shortly and they want to understand if this could be contributing. But just so we make it uh, so the audience has a really good understanding, can we maybe just define some of the general terms that we're talking about here and break it down sure. really simply. So uh, breast augmentation, reconstruction, explant, those kinds of things. Let's get some of those major terms that you hear people talk about and discuss. If we could just put those out there first and then let sure. the conversation flow from there. Sure. Breast augmentation started in the 80s um, with silicone gel implants. And that's a device. It's got a silicone shell on the outside. It's filled with a silicone Nowadays, there's options, both devices filled with silicone and or saline. Predominantly, they're back to silicone since the re-release in 2013. Three vendors, Cientra, Allergan, um, and uh, Mentor. And um, they can be above or below the muscle. The same types of devices are used for reconstructions, but the implants for reconstructions are bigger. And you would say, well, why is that happening? because they've had a mastectomy and now the space that is filled or needs to be filled by the implant is larger. So hence they'll always have a larger implant. Um, the, the kind of uh, 
topics that come up for uh, how, defining breast implant illness. So I, that's an augmentation, that's a reconstruction. So when or or if anybody develops this, what's it what's it seem like? What's it what's it behave like? So I have patients come with the following: extreme fatigue, like my very first patient did, anxiety and or depression, and you just go down, dry eyes, dry mouth, light sensitivity, sound sensitivity, um, migraine, and or bad headache. Um, when you go to the chest symptoms, they may have tightness in their chest, shortness of breath, just chest discomfort in general. They may have neuropathic pain where they have little shocks or burning pain in their chest. It doesn't have to be right at the side of the implant. It could be in the armpit or on the side. It can be mechanical from scarring. In their abdomen, which seems a weird place to have a lot of problems, is tons of digestive problems. So they can have um, basically um, leaky gut or problems with bloating or swelling. Um, they can have problems with uh, diarrhea and or constipation. If you go to uh, symptoms in the urotogenital system, they can have recurrent UTIs. Um, if the, they can also have really intractable uh, vaginosis, either candida or bacterial vaginosis. For extremity type problems, they can have really debilitating what seems to be my uh, muscle pain, uh, joint pain, or both, and be migratory, not the same place all the time. Um, they can have a lot of problems with edema, which is just swelling, and swelling can be in lower body, upper body, waist, trunk. So it's it's a really ill-defined uh, set of uh, symptoms that then creates you know, a lot of concern for them with providers, because say, for instance, Kevin, I had this problem and I came to you and you're a rheumatologist and you said, Rob, you know, I'm going to check this and I'll check your blood work. Looks like your blood work says you have lupus. I'm like, oh, that's pretty bad. Why would I have lupus? I don't know, Rob, but we're going to put you on prednisone and that's going to help you. It's going to decrease your inflammation. So the bottom line in all these things is it's it's really difficult to ferret out. I've seen about 900 different cases of this. So for me uh, to listen to the story or to see someone in person and do their exam and put that together, plus I've had the a fortune to work with a really great genetics company to see the personal genetics of these folks. And it further enhances, and we can talk about it later, their problems with pathways of immunity. So for, for breast implant illness, how does, how does it actually come to be? So somebody's already got breast implants in, whether they're silicone or saline, and then what happens? Is there a tear in the actual implant itself that starts to leak out into the surrounding areas, and that's what starts causing the, the illness? Yeah, so I mean, I've been asked a lot, can I upfront determine who's going to have breast implant illness? through testing or uh, history or anything like that. And I'd get asked this a lot on social media. The, the thing for me is I've worked so much with it. People come in at kind of wits in with all these symptoms like we described and discussed. And I have this group of tests I'll do. I'll look at their food sensitivities, their hormone balance, their um, total toxicity. I have a lot of people exposed to mold. I, I, if you live in Texas or on the Gulf Coast, I've, I consider you have mold. And 
that coupled to their personal genetics and if they're having a lot of problems with their bowel movements, we'll get a stool test. And then I gather all that information up and when their personal genetics come back and their food sensitivities come back, you can ferret out a lot of the things that are contributing to problems. But when I get their personal genetics back and look at their immune pathways, if say for instance, um, they don't methylate well, they have a difficult time with glutathione metabolism, they have a, a very limited antioxidant pathway. They can't metabolize their own vitamin D well enough to be utilized for their for their bones and immune system. Then that's a very complicated thing that once the physical stress of having the device, maybe, you know, work is stressful, home is stressful, kids are stressful, all those things uh, come to roost. Somebody gets COVID. Somebody has a friend get deathly ill and they have to travel and take care of them. There's always some kind of inciting event. Home renovation is a big one because it exposes mold or environmental toxins. And that becomes too much for the system because you only are as good as your genetics you were blessed with. And beyond that, I don't have a pill, shot, or drug to make that better. I will supplement pathways to help you. And then many times these folks go on to have their implants removed by me because they don't see another way out. And to be honest, even with treatment, I don't feel like I can walk that back so that they can manage that. Now, you mentioned ruptures. They're they're very different. Um, anybody who has a ruptured leaking device has a direct contact with a foreign substance that definitely should be taken care of in a in a, a rapid fashion. It shouldn't be, um, you know, watched, basically. So anybody I have like that, my recommendation is always to have all of that taken out and examined and, and made sure there's nothing uh, else going on. And so the the illness itself may not be from a leak, right? Like right. A implant, right. it may not be from a leak. Is it from the body just rejecting uh, also? Or could that be something where the body is just rejecting uh, basically something foreign that's been placed in there? Sure. I think it's, I think when I rationalize it, they come in, and they're very immune driven. Like if if you can't handle those pathway issues like we talked about, if your mitochondria are working overtime to make ATP for you to fight, say my first patient, she had an infection. So that patient's, they're running a marathon every day. And you're eventually, you're just not going to be able to keep up with that. And I, I feel like people get to that point, but there's always seems like one more thing that then tips them over. They're doing fine for a period of time, and then something happened. Um, the The immune system or the body in general will do its best. It'll drag from other areas. Um, you know, if your gut doesn't work, you can't absorb your nutrients. Then your your biochemical functions can't work. You can't handle uh, your oxidative stress, which is what your body does each and every day, just so you can get up, get out of bed, go around, you move much less think and be, you know, uh, aware and engaged. You know, I have women come and it's such a big deal to them. They don't interact with their families anymore. They don't even have the energy to do that. They don't want to get up and and help take care of the kids or meal, uh, you know, because women are still living, they're planning all the meals, they're taking care of the kids, they're working a job. I mean, they they do a ton. And for a woman to come to me and say, she just can't do any of that anymore, that's a big deal. Then you got to like you got to stop and say, you know, women in general are much, much more tough than males. They're hardier, they're sturdier, they do a lot more in general to take care of the family unit, usually. 
So when they come in and say they can't do it anymore, I, I feel very responsible figuring out why uh, and how I can help them get back to this being themselves. And and that's great. And and uh, it's great to have somebody else, you know, especially a, a medical doctor who is a surgeon too, to have that perspective uh, and to really care for the patient that way. Uh, in terms of breast implants, uh, again, I do want to talk about, you mentioned silicone and saline. When you see people that are really having issues or, or coming to you and we're suspecting breast implant illness, is there one particular breast plant or type of breast plant uh, or breast implant that you're seeing that may be causing this more frequently than others? Well, it's definitely um, the filler is not a unique issue. So the outside the shell is always silicone. It's just the inside, the filler, if you will, that changes. So fillers that are silicone since the early 2000s are more like jello. So they're called cohesive. Um, so that if there was a rupture, it's supposed to be contained with inside that. There's always two layers uh, to the capsule. There's an outer and an inner. Um, for me personally, as I think about it, I feel like what's driving the immune response? I alluded to it a little bit earlier, but some breast implants are associated with a lymphoma. The lymphoma is called anaplastic large cell lymphoma or ALCL, and it's induced by breast implants. There's also one associated with other types of implants. Um, so what happens, and, and when we're talking about the immune system and how important something like vitamin D and calcium metabolism is very important in the immune system. If you have somebody with a rough surfaced implant, you have more surface area to make contact with the tissues. That stimulates the immune response and lymphocytes come to that area. So it's like a chronic irritant. And the more texturing, the more irritating, the more lymphocytes get activated. Now, it doesn't take rocket science to figure out the wrong person with the wrong genetics, that's gonna lead to that problem that is ALCO, it's a cancer. So my thought process has always been the following. If you have something that irritating and you're driving your immune response, all textured ones have to be monitored. Um, it's part of the protocol as a plastic surgeon. Um, but when I see those patients, I advise them like, okay, this is not good for you. And if you want me to help you further elucidate it, we'll get your genetics and evaluate this because you could really be putting yourself at risk or your family in general at risk, or you taking care of your family, but not understanding this process better. Gosh, this is, this is great to understand all of these things. I mean, if you're listening right now and you know somebody that has breast implants or you're concerned about breast implant illness, comment below number one, let me know what you learned already. And then also share this with somebody as you're listening to this. Uh, that you think this could really help because I think this is important information, uh, Doctor Robert. I have I have another question for you about. Um, so it seems like a lot of the people that are coming to you, they have all these other health issues too. I think I heard you mention fatigue, malabsorption in their guts or digestive issues, uh, hormone connection. You see a hormone connection too. Right. Talk about that. Absolutely. Maybe? So, I used to be really kind of not fearful of dealing with hormones, but I just thought it was. So like, all right, I'm a plastic surgeon. All right, now I'm doing nutrition, which is pretty good, 
you know, I have a lot of background in that. But hormones were just kind of this thing that seemed like I should just, I should be mindful of it and send things to the endocrinologist. And my patients kept asking me to take care of it because they were having trouble getting other providers to listen to them. And so for me, for both my breast implant illness patients and helping them avoid problems like downstream with osteoporosis, because I have like 9,000 clients between the age of 33 and 55. And these problems lead to hormonal derangement. So reduced estrogen and testosterone, which we know lead to problems with osteoporosis or, or a tendency towards osteoporosis. So we look at all of our uh, patients' uh, panels and we are looking carefully at those levels of estrogen, progesterone, and testosterone. And we also check a vitamin D level on everybody so that when I have those and accompanying uh, other blood uh, markers and your genetics, we can really map out how best to help you, you know, as you recover from surgery, if you choose that with me or work with another provider, because I do actually offer my holistic accelerated repro uh, recovery program to other uh, clients. Wow, I said that terribly. So you can still work with me if I don't do your surgery. But we do all this in order to give you the best plan, uh, both the in terms of recovery, treatment from breast implant illness. We want to avoid problems uh, downstream with osteoporosis as well. Yeah. So, um, and what I'm, what I'm gathering, I mean, and, and would you say in your experience, have you seen maybe, or, or maybe would you think there is a potential cause and effect relationship between some of the symptoms that people have that they're coming in to see you and, and that would be the connection to bone health, maybe the impact on, on their bone health too? Yeah, I think, you know, it would be wonderful to have bone scans on some of my patients because I saw a lady this morning who's the picture of I'm going somewhere to have a fracture. She just is frail. She's had lots of gut issues, so it leads to malabsorption. Her estrogen and testosterone were both super low, so we balanced those out um, in my office with bioidentical hormones. And that's a lot to deal with. Plus, she had surgery. Plus, she has problems with anxiety and depression and fatigue. Um, I do already have her on what I suspect will help her the most in terms of supplements, and she feels better, but she's got a lot of detoxification um, to do after this. And as she gets stronger and healthier um, and we balance out her hormones, hopefully we can you know, get her on the right track with bone health as well. Yeah. So maybe it's not, maybe it's not that there's this direct relationship of you've got breast implant illness, you know, it's impacting your, your bone health or it's causing osteoporosis. But a lot of the things that you see typically associated with breast implant illness, the, the fatigue, which is going to lead to inactivity, the malabsorption of nutrients, right. which is going to, you don't have the things that you need to support stronger bones, the, the connection to hormones, which Obviously, if you're if your patient group, then most of the people that you're working with are 33 to 55, I think you said many of them are right before or before menopause. So right. that period in their life is going to come where they have that decline in hormones and decrease in estrogen. And they're going to have a period where that bone loss is going to happen. Right. So they're all susceptible to it. I I, I don't um I was, it was fortuitous to meet you and speak to you about it and draw that correlation because it's not something that I emphasized. I, I, as I've highlighted, I look at a lot of parameters, but I haven't, um, specifically focused on bone health for my clients, but moving forward, we'll, we'll definitely make sure that the bone coach is part of our program moving forward. Good stuff. Um, and, and what I, I'm interested, I, I remember you said you do genetic testing also. Right. 
So that's great. So I would love to just talk about this for a second and just understand what does genetic testing look like when you're doing this? And then also, what are the most common things that you see turn up for someone in terms of uh, maybe poor genetics that that are contributing to their health issues? Right. So I think all of us are familiar with 23andMe, um, been around a long time, Ancestry, all these things, and they'll give you a little health report. And so um, I look at those reports, maybe a page or two long. Um, I view them as like little, you know, short stories. And in reality, our genetic code, as we all know, is much bigger. And in a short story, I would consider those uh, companies to provide like spell check. You can have a spelling error, but still read the story. So the company I use and what we're looking for are parts of a book where the chapters are missing. And we're trying to fill in the blanks and give the patient the playbook for the rest of you know their lives. We want them to live uh, as well as they can. Um, obviously, I get a group who are... Who are you know, pretty damaged when they show up and they want to know as much information uh, and I'll provide as much for them as I can. So specifically, I look at from head to toe, uh, mood disorder, sleep, hormones, cardiovascular health, nutrition and diet considerations. Um, We look at immunity pathways and then we have a separate one for anti-aging. So it's a very aggressive, almost a 55-page report I go through uh, almost daily with somebody. And for immunity, in this case, I'll, I'll start with immunity because it's the most important when I look at these cases. So the four pathways that we look at with genetics as regards to immunity are the vitamin D pathway, the glutathione pathway, the methylation pathway, and the uh, antioxidant pathway. So there's different enzymes that mediate those pathways and your genetics dictates the function of those enzymes or if you even have enough copies of of the material to have that enzyme function. So without making it too complicated, what I see typically is one, two, if not three of those pathways are somehow downregulated, meaning they don't function at a level that will support that patient. So the more stress they have from their cellular stress, the more toxins they get exposed to through food, their environments, um, uh, whether it's home or work, um, the inability, say, to take in vitamin D because um, dietary problems, absorption issues, um, inability to convert. So they need K2 to help convert their vitamin D3 so that the bones can actually absorb the calcium and and utilize it for for bone health and strength. Those are the four I concentrate on because most of my my breast implant illness patients, they need to start somewhere. And I find that to be the most important place to start. Yeah, I would think the vitamin D conversion is, that's a big one, right? It's a really big one, especially for for our audience too and and the group of people we're speaking to. So um, let's let's just... uh, I would love to understand. So somebody has breast implant illness. We we make the decision, right? You you determine with the patient, okay, we think it makes sense to to remove the breast implants. What happens then, right? What is the what does the surgery look like? But then what happens after that? Where, um, you know, what are the options that the, that the patient has to feel uh, to still feel good in their bodies? Right. 
what's the big deal? For several hundred, I, I, I did the surgery, much like I would do an oncologic case, and was just trying to help people feel better. I didn't understand. And then, of course, as you mentioned, the, the outcome, the, the visual change um, is a big psychosocial issue, especially if somebody's already experiencing anxiety and depression uh, along with fatigue. Um, there's a lot of anxiety in general. So I'll walk you back in how I take care of somebody so that you understand the process. If I get a, a prospect, I'll do a discovery call like we're talking now. I'll really try to define what their core issues are and look at the testing I need to do pre-op to either identify or define those greater and put them on a the right track with their diet. So I look at food sensitivities first and try to cut out gut swelling and malabsorption right away with that. So everybody gets a gluten-free, dairy-free diet. So I'll just tell all your audience, stop eating gluten, stop eating dairy. Um, then it's about what foods are triggering you to swell and decrease your absorption of something like vitamin D and or calcium. Then once we have that, if I really think you have a toxic burden that's out of ordinary, we'll get a total tox test. We'll look at your heavy metal exposures, your environmental toxins like phthalates, and then we'll look at your mycotoxin levels. I have to put people on binders, sometimes uh, prescription strength, even pre-op to get that sorted out because they have such bad mold because that will affect you before you ever get to the operating room. If we've come this far and you're on board and you understand what we're doing, um, we're going to get to the pre-op process where we go through, obviously, the informed consent process, photos, establish a plan. So this is where I determine with the patient, what's the best I can do for you in this situation? So if there's more breast tissue, it's easier. I can do a lift and reestablish a nice uh, shape. I can also add fat. I'm an expert in fat transfer. I've done over a thousand fat transfers since 2004 for breast cancer and cosmetics. Breast, trans, best, uh, breast fat transfer is a totally acceptable, totally reproducible technique that has been um, kind of uh, undermined on the internet and social media groups. But it also depends on your immune health. Once we establish a plan, whether it's an explant alone, explant with a lift, explant with a lift and a fat transfer, or just an explant and a fat transfer, those are those four common things I do. We'll prepare you for the operating room. Now, everybody's concerned about length of operations, nausea after surgery, swelling and inflammation after surgery, pain after surgery. So let me just tell your audience how we approach this to diminish each of those factors for playing a role in their recovery process. So we, through my holistic accelerated recovery program, get you started on the correct diet, the right supplements, sleep patterns, all the things you need to get your rhythms back and feeling better before surgery. Around the time of surgery, especially the night before surgery, we're gonna use prescription medications to help offset all those things that I don't want you to have after surgery immediately in the recovery room. So you take something for nausea, Zofran, which is common. We take that the night before because Zofran has to be taken before you have nausea. It doesn't stop you from being nauseous. You have to be preemptive with it. We take something um, for inflammation called celecoxib. It's a COX-2 inhibitor. It's a, it's a very good anti-inflammatory. We also use something for nerve pain. Um, breast implant illness cases that I do have a high incidence of uh, nerve irritation from the capsule and the implant uh, placement uh, by their initial surgery or their subsequent surgeons, uh, however many times they've had surgery. So we put them on these things to limit nausea, inflammation, and nerve pain. Uh, 
So that starts the night before they come to the uh, surgery center, uh, the morning of surgery. I see them, mark them. If they need additional uh, medicines uh, that morning, they'll get that and they get off to sleep. So all of my patients, um, the way the anesthetics are done are for the last 500 I've done is very little narcotic so that they're not getting um, additional levels of nausea when they wake up because they weren't given additional higher doses of narcotic. Now, when we start, we have some proprietary things we do with local anesthetic um, to help set the table a little bit better. So we're always being proactive rather than reacting to a situation in the operating room. We'll do the case, and anybody can listen to my three podcasts and one I go into great detail about how I do the case, but I will do it. I'll take everything out intact. And then once it's done, I will use a long-acting local anesthetic called Expral. It's a basic form of marcaine. It lasts longer because it's liposomal. We all have heard of liposomal type of supplements. This is a liposomal type of anesthetic. I will block the uh, surfaces of the ribs, the intercostals, which are the muscles between the ribs, the pec major, pec minor, those are your big muscles and the soft tissues. Um, basically, when you wake up from that, if I'm just doing an explant, you, you won't feel much, if anything at all. Um, when the surgery is done, um, from uh, if I add fat, and obviously we're going to take fat from the appropriate areas, and then I will add that and reshape and revolumize the breast. Um, then if you have fat taken, you have a liposuction garment put on prior to waking up. And then the rest is still the same. Prior to wake up, when I wrap the chest, we put ice packs on the chest. So cool and numb is a process by which pain relief uh, will be reduced and swelling will always be reduced. Ice is still the best anti-inflammatory known on earth. So when they get to recovery, most of my patients are waking up and they're about two out of 10 of pain because we've done all these things up front with both their diet, their supplements, their pre-op medications, their interoperative uh, treatment, and what we're gonna do with compression because compression helps uh, all the time. So I always see, or um, uh, we have a phone call with the patient the following day and we see them in person at one week. So at one week, we'll take all their dressings down and have a look depending on what they've done. Um, we'll rewrap, compress, but I get everybody uh, in a lymphatic massage program right away. So if you're in Austin, you're going to get two a week for usually six weeks because the six week is our benchmark. We want to know where you are at six weeks. That's halfway to three months and that's a quarter. And that's when I really understand how you're doing from a wellness standpoint. So um, lymphatic massage is important for both detoxification and for reducing the amount of edema caused by surgery and or the fluid I use to perform uh, the fat uh, removal. So these things all as you can tell, I like multimodal approaches to everything. So this makes people um, really get back to feeling more like themselves as quickly as possible. And I've had people come from each coast to have surgery in Austin. And by the time they go home at one week, it doesn't look like they had anything uh, done in terms of body contouring. And I've done a full 360 lipo and fat transfer for them. Now, breast swelling is different. That takes more time uh, to resolve because there's a lot done in that area. But your goal is to reduce as much swelling and inflammation to provide as much comfort as possible. And um, I feel like we have that that process uh, well honed at this point. Yeah. Well, it's great to hear, you know, somebody's got all these different health issues taking place. They've got breast implants. They're trying to figure it out. You know, we realize they've got 
uh, breast implant illness and there are options for them. There are things they can do. It sounds like what you're doing is, uh, you know, taking an approach that covers not just the typical surgery route uh, that you would probably find somewhere else. It seems like you're addressing all of the different other areas. I heard diet and lifestyle adjustments and genetic testing and all this stuff uh, on top of uh, a surgery to get people feeling comfortable again in their own bodies, uh, which is, that's great. Uh, so I'm glad we had this conversation and um, I know I've, it actually started uh, and I mentioned this to you a, a while back. I think when you and I met in person a while back was I've actually had people reach out to me on my email list and just say like, hey, uh, is there a connection between these two things? Like I've had breast implants and I'm wondering and I've got all these symptoms and, you know, I, I had multiple people reach out to me and ask this and I was like, we should probably have a discussion about this. So. Uh, I'm really glad that we did. Where can people find you? Um, yeah, I'm I'm like a bad penny. I'm everywhere. So um, my main domain is drrobertwhitfield.com, all lowercase, uh, no spaces, uh, no punctuation. And then I have a separate site. If you're really focused on breast implant illness, there's a site called breastimplantillnessexpert.com that's mine. And it goes through and gives uh, information and there's a quiz to take. You can fill out a contact form. We can set up a 15-minute uh, complimentary discovery session so I can really help you understand uh, what's going on. And then I have a new store uh, for my supplements and skin care uh, called Dr. Rob's Solutions. Dot com uh, through Shopify. And then my podcast is Holistic Plus Scientific on Spotify and Apple and all the platforms. That's great. So what we'll do, uh, and, you're, and your in-person location, you said, is in Austin, correct? Yeah, in person, I'm in Austin. I have brick and mortar in Austin. Okay. And what's the name of that brick and mortar again? So my brick and mortar place is called Aloe Skin and Body by Dr. Whitfield. Um, and it's in Austin, Texas. Okay, great. So what we'll do is for all those resources, show notes, everything we talked about here, uh, we're going to leave that in the show notes and you can find all that over at bonecoach.com forward slash Dr. Robert Whitfield, breast implant illness. Uh, I want to thank everyone again so much for their time. And Dr. Robert, thank you so much again for your time and sharing this with our audience. I'll see you in the next episode. Hey, it's Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. Hope you found that episode helpful and that you enjoyed it. Just one last reminder, if you haven't done so already, head over to bonecoach.com, sign up for your free seven-day osteoporosis kickstart. It's gonna tell you everything you need to do to start getting on the path to improvement. Hope you found this helpful. I'm your Bone Coach Kevin Ellis. I'll see you soon.